Infirmary Media. Broadcasting from the Infirmary Media Studios, it's the adult-only retro game show where the 80s and 90s do battle because it's your history. We just fight for it. Welcome back to Dueling Decades. I am Mark James, and this week I step back into the retro ring for a week experience duel as I bring all of the presents from December 24th through 31st of 1999. And tonight, my opponent. Hello, I'm Julie Basil from Flickers from the Cave podcast, here to defend December 24th through the 31st of 1982. And as always here on the show, we need someone to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. So let me introduce to you tonight's judge. You may know him as the only man ever to successfully land the triple Lindy in Murray Futterman's pool. It's Man Crush. <laughs> What's up? And Happy New Year, because this will come out on January the 3rd, and I will be on vacation. So I won't be on the next episode. So thank you for letting me judge this one before I get on a 5 a.m. plane flight. Uh, but uh, let's do this. We got what was it, 82 versus 99 the last week. Man, it's going to be hairy with 1999. Let's see what you got there. The whole Y2K thing. That better <laughs> come up. Otherwise, I'm docking a point. Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judges coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And the winning decade shall be decided by the highest overall score after all five rounds. Now, don't be sad that Walker told you you have AIDS, because it's time <laughs> for more... Dueling Decades. <laughs> All right, let's go over to Judge Man Crush for the official toss-off. All right. As always, I got my CNS tapper here. So what happens here is I get five seconds to see how many taps I can get. And Julie, you're going to have to guess how many I hit. Whoever gets it closest, we'll do that. We'll make it easy. All right, here we go. Oh, I'm feeling it. Oh, will I bring it? Oh, it sounds so dirty. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> that's a good one. All right, Julie, how many taps did I get in five seconds? 27. And Mark? 38. Oh, my God. Mark, I got 39. <laughs> Whoa! Damn! Julie, Julie thinks, like, I get more than 27 when I roll out of bed. Wow. God, did you see how hard I worked for the 39? She said 27. <laughs> you were working pretty hard. I wasn't sure what you were doing down there, but it was, it was pretty strange. I might have jammed my finger on that. I'm not sure. There might be some damage to the ligaments. But yes, Mark, you are first up. So where are we going? All right. Well, I have uh, the final week of December 1999. You know what? Let's start off with the news round. Oh, boy. This better be Y2K, I'm telling you. <laughs> 
All right, December 31st, 1999. World-changing news. Boris Yeltsin resigns as president of Russia only to be replaced by Vladimir Putin. Putin, a former KGB and Secret Service FSB agent, was actually Yeltsin's sixth prime minister. Yeltsin, who was deeply unpopular over food shortages, rampant corruption, and failing health, resigned on December 31st, 1999. Putin stepped into the presidency, moving in from accidental prime minister to the most powerful president to where he is today. It is believed that Yeltsin chose the former KGB agent because Putin was a security guy and that he could trust him to safely and secure his immunity after Yeltsin left office. So, yeah, that's my first news story. Boris Yeltsin resigns and is replaced by Vladimir Putin. I think that's uh, a little bit relevant today. My second news story, we're going to go to December 30th, 1999. A madman attacked former Beatle George Harrison in his own home, nearly killing him. At approximately 3.30 in the morning, Michael Abram, a 33-year-old native of Liverpool, avoided security by scaling the fence of Harrison's home. George Harrison confronted Abram as he screamed at him, rushing him with a knife, tackled um, George Harrison to the ground, but George Harrison's attempts to stave off his attacks were unsuccessful as he was repeatedly stabbed and slashed in the chest. Meanwhile, Harrison's wife, Olivia, struck Abram in the head with a lamp, causing him to drop the knife. Abram then went after Olivia, and he tried to strangle her, but she escaped. The police arrived. They were able to apprehend Abrams, of course. George Harrison was rushed to the hospital where he was okay. He was in stable condition. His wounds were pretty serious, uh, but with his customary dry wit, George Harrison said about his would-be assassin, well, he wasn't a burglar, and he wasn't certainly auditioning for the traveling Wilburys. It is believed that Abram believed that the Beatles were witches who flew around on broomsticks and that George Harrison possessed him and he was sent on a mission from God to kill George Harrison. So he was possessed okay, wow. by George Harrison and then on a mission from God to kill George Harrison. Okay. <laughs> God. How many years after that did Harrison die? I want to say it was like 03 or something. 2001. Oh, okay. So two yeah. years later he died. Shit. What did he die of? That I mean, there was no complications from the stabbing. No, there was no complications <laughs> for the stabbing. Okay, all right, all right. Just checking. No. All right, yeah, so that's what I got for the news round. George Harrison staves off an attack, almost dies. One of the bad things about it was the not only did he get slashed in the chest, he got stabbed, and a couple of the stab wounds actually came really close to a few arteries. Luckily, he was all right, and uh, we still had George Harrison for a few more years. So that and uh, that Putin thing. So that's what I get for the news round. Julie. All right. Over to you. On December 24th, 1982, Chaminade defeats number one Virginia in the NCAA game. Holiday, It's a holiday classic in Honolulu. Chaminade had a student body of 850 students, and they beat number one Virginia, 77 to 72. It was a long time ago, but it's still widely held as one of the greatest upsets in college basketball history. Whether you like basketball or not, um, it's pretty interesting, especially in Honolulu. There were only 3,000 people watching this game. There were no television cameras. 
Um, nothing was on the news until a couple days later. It took to spread across the mainland. So pretty interesting. All right. Like when you first said it, I was like, is that like the Middle East or? <laughs> no, I remember this. Yeah. I, now yeah, I, I do remember huge. it. That's yeah. a huge, huge upset. I mean, too bad it wasn't tournament time. I mean, that's yeah. most people think about upsets like this, but the fact that it happened, you know, right after Christmas going into like what it was like some classic. Some what was it? A holiday basketball classic. Oh, all right. Yeah. So it was just like a. A gimme game if they were supposed to destroy them, them probably playing in Hawaii, exactly. give the kids a vacation because all the students are on, you know, their winter break. Yep. Ha. All right. So what do you got for the second one? Um, For the second round, I have um, Pan Am flight attendant William Cohn wanted to be one of those employees who fell under the radar at work. No one paid much attention to him until pleased passengers started praising this courteous, efficient flight attendant. In letters to Pan American World Airways, he was praised, and they wanted to add this information to his file, but turns out this flight attendant was just a guy racking up free rides. A computer search showed William was not even on the payroll. He masqueraded as a flight attendant for two years, saving approximately $40,000 in airfare to London, Honolulu, Johannesburg, uh, Hong Kong. Male flight attendants in those days wore navy blazers, pants, vest combos. Pretty much he would just wear that and show up and pretty much everybody wanted extra help. So they were happy to just have him join any flight he was on. But his free ride ended when he was arrested December 24th, 1982. So if you're going to be a fake, don't be too exceptional at it if you're not in payroll. <laughs> <laughs> just be like everybody else. <laughs> Shitty. <laughs> Make sure you get a couple kneecaps with the cart. Strive for mediocrity. That's what we do. Of course, you got to hide. <laughs> hide in plain sight, man. But damn, you know, what's crazy about that story is, you know, you're telling it, it's 1982. And at first, obviously, Mark always has the 80s. So I was thinking this was the 99 story. And I was like, holy shit, you know, pre 9-11, we really were caught with our pants down. But you're talking about 1982. Man, talk about the 80s. They didn't give a shit. This guy made it on flights, you know, not even being an employee yeah. and just getting on the flight. <laughs> just think about how hard it is. This coming flight, this vacation that I'm going on, I'm go we're going to Florida. So for domestic flights, you got to be there two hours prior. So I get up at three in the morning to get there at five for a seven o'clock flight. Back in the 80s, you could probably just show up 10 minutes before your flight and get on. Yeah, now fucking David Blaine couldn't even sneak onto a flight. <laughs> oh, it's so crazy. So, like, you telling a story like that, I've never even heard that before. That's fucking just nuts that that happened for two years. My thing is, like, what did this guy do for regular money, though? Like, did he have a job? He didn't say. He was just some homeless dude that just, like, racking up flights, going to Hawaii and shit. Go anywhere you wanted. Do you need a job at that point? Really? <laughs> yeah. I, well, I guess not. You're getting full meals, I'm sure, on Pan Am in 82. You're getting TV dinners and yeah. probably smoking on the plane with the <laughs> fucking Christ. All right. So let's look at what we got here. We got uh, the end of 99 and the end of 82. And Mark, I told you before, you come with no Y2K story. I'm going to smack you for that one. <laughs> and I pretty much have to negate one of your stories. How could you pass up? Y2K. 
What do you mean? How do, how could I pass that up for news? How can you pass that up for news? That's I, like people were in pandemonium because nobody knew what was going to happen because the computers were going to flip from 99 to double zero. So the computers, a lot of people thought that it was going to flip all the way back to 1900 instead of going to 2000. So there was just like nobody knew it was going to happen. Most of the people in the industry were aware that, you know, for the, a couple of years prior to this, we had taken care of this and we, you know, we uh, re- had things reprogrammed and we did this and that. But everyone was afraid that there was going to be something that slipped through the cracks and missiles were going to go off and like all the shit. Now, does your year go in or does your week go into or it only goes to the 31st? It only goes to the 31st. And that is why I didn't pick Y2K okay. because it's an unfinished story. My my week ends at midnight. So there's really nothing Y2K noteworthy. No results to mention. Well, there was no results after Y2K, but <laughs> you had True. the pandemonium because that last week, I remember the company that we worked for, we we paid tens of thousands of dollars we redid our software because we were one of the ones that were going to be affected with our billing software everything was going to reset to the year 1900 everything was going to get fucked up so we had to go through all this stuff and you know redo everything so we knew going in that we were going to be okay but there was still a little bit like you were a little scared because you didn't know and that last week people were flipping the fuck out it does come up in one of my other categories all right. Uh, the Y2K effect does play into one of my other picks a little bit. So, all right. So I have to look at the four picks here. So regardless, you don't have the Y2K thing. You do have Putin going into office. The guy's still a leader. You know, 20 years later, he's still at the helm. The George Hamilton thing that was big for the time didn't kill him. But I mean, it's a big deal that somebody it's almost like from a movie. George Harrison, not George Hamilton. Wait, did I say George Hamilton? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You can leave it. Well, fuck it. I mean, if somebody wanted to stab George Hamilton, dude looks like leather. But all right, so George Harrison did get stabbed. I don't know if you could stab through that leather. I don't think you could. That guy might try a lot, but nothing would happen. Uh, So George Harrison, you had his stabbing. He did die a couple years later. Of course, had nothing to do with this. But that's almost like a movie scene. Him getting stabbed, his wife knocking the guy out with a freaking lamp. With the lamp on the head. I've always wanted to do that. I've always wanted to, like, break something over the top of somebody's head. Oh, yeah. That's, like, straight out of an ABC Monday night movie or something. That's a Lifetime movie. Lifetime. For sure. For sure. (laughs) That's, like, some, like, gilded lover, you know, that came into the house and she hit him with a lamp. The fact that he thought the witches were fucking all about (laughs) that shit's just crazy to me. But anyhow, let's look at Julie's. Julie had that gigantic upset and i think to this day no school that small has beaten a d1 school i mean is is that pretty much legitimate in basketball there's been a couple tournament upsets but yeah to the the magnitude of this one the only other one i could think of was in college football and that's when appalachian state state beat michigan yeah went into michigan and that's the same type of thing like they they always have these gimme games and, you know, sometimes the teams just roll over. They're not prepared for it. So that is kind of a big deal. I think a lot of people forgotten about it over the years because it was such a small school, but they shouldn't. And I know Virginia hasn't. Uh, and then your other story, if it was later on, if it was like in the later nine, like 1990s somewhere, that would be a huge story. But the fact that it was in 82, I just feel like security was so lax and anybody was getting on the goddamn plane. 
But, I mean, it is still pretty amazing that the guy did it for two years, but I can't pair that up with uh, George Hamilton or Harrison getting stabbed. Either one, it doesn't matter, <laughs> and Putin going into office. So I got to give this one to 1999. So, Mark, you still have control of the board. All right. Uh, you know what? Let's see what's on TV. Let's go over to the TV round. All right. Let's do it. All right. So my first TV story is about ABC 2000 Today. It aired on ABC News, and it was ABC's news coverage of the new millennium celebrations around the world on December 31st, 99 into January 1st. As part of the 2000 Today programming in the United States, Peter Jennings anchored 23 hours and 10 minutes of broadcasts from the Times Square studios in Manhattan. ABC joined 60 other nations celebrating the dawn of the new millennium. The network was part of the 2000 Today Consortium that included PBS, WGBH, the BBC, ABC in Australia, TV Asani in Japan, GMA Network in the Philippines, RTL in Germany, the CBC in Canada. All of these networks banded together thousands of broadcasters all under one command to do a giant broadcast all around the globe. Sam Donaldson was at the Y2K Command Center in Washington. This is where my Y2K story fits into this because they did have a Y2K Command Center keeping people updated of all of the changes and news revolving around Y2K concerns. And then you got to think, with the magnitude of this broadcast and all the different stations and networks that were coordinated together with all of those computers, they weren't sure what was going to happen during a live broadcast. So that was a major concern going into this. Uh, the guests included David Blaine, fellow deadhead Al Franken, Howard K. Smith, musical performances from the Bee Gees, Neil Diamond, Faith Hill, Enrique Iglesias, Kenny G, Billy Joel, Barry Manilow, Bonnie Raitt in sync, James Taylor, Christina Aguilera. It was by far the most comprehensive coverage of any of the broadcast networks. Peter Jennings, he stayed on the air for the entire duration without a break, only using commercial breaks and correspondence pieces to rest, eat, change, go to the bathroom. And it's estimated that 175 million Americans tuned into at least some portion of ABC 2000 today. And the broadcast won a Peabody Award. All right. My second television story is an episode of SpongeBob SquarePants. It's a SB 129 slash Karate Choppers. It is in its first season. This was episode 14 of the show premiered on new year's eve and it is the only episode where the title is actually read aloud and uh sb 129 it is revealed that crusty crab is actually closed on sundays in case you didn't know that there's the first time this was ever mentioned uh and the credits are for some reason are in space instead of behind the traditional underwater background on this episode SpongeBob is now currently in its 12th season. It's been nominated for 10 primetime Emmys. And out of all of the Nicktoons that aired in the 1990s, uh, this is the only one still in production. And it is the longest running one. It is the fifth longest running American TV animated series. And as of uh, 2017, they have generated more than $13 billion in merchandising and revenue for Nickelodeon. So the first season of SpongeBob, I got an episode from that, and ABC 2000 Today. That's what I got for the TV round. All right, good shit. All right, Julie, off to 1982. Wow us. 
All right. Duran Duran performs live at the MTV New Year's Eve Ball in 1982. It was at the Palladium in New York, and this was huge for them. Their Rio album had come out in May. Um, it was released in the States in November. This was a huge achievement for the band. They had a live album that was performed or that was recorded there. Was that the first nice. MTV New Year's Eve ball? It was the second. It was the second. Okay. Good question. Round two for television. I have The Doctors, an American daytime soap opera television series, which aired April 1st, 1963, ended on December 31st, 1982. There are over 5,155 episodes produced on this series that was set at Hope Memorial Hospital in a fictional town of Madison. This show was filmed in black and white until 1966, when it joined the Times. And in 82, the time slot was moved to 12 p.m., which it was up against the young and the, rest the restless. I couldn't find any major plot points for... The doctors, but I do know that at that time, Young and the Restless, there was some wild stuff going on. Um, Liz warned Jill not to break up the Abbott family because it will backfire on her. And John gave Jill a lynx coat for Christmas. And Jill notified Diane's writing hot stuff on Jack's back. I don't know what that means, but I have lots of questions. Um, <laughs> was that in the doctors or that's in Young and the Restless? This is Young and the Restless. That's why people moved over. Oh, you God. Know, yeah, they... those storylines sound fucking popping. That sounds like late 90s raw. Yeah. What was right going there? on on the doctors? Jeez. <laughs> Joey Moses Lawn. Betsy gets a malt at the malt <laughs> shop. You know? Walker told him he had AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> TV in 1982. That's one of the things about early 80s television, especially like daytime programming. Pretty fucking boring. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not, I, I guess I'll have to. Not, so, all right. So let's look at these picks. 99, 82. All right. So 82, you came in with the uh, the Duran Duran playing the New Year's Eve ball. I wish that would have been the first one. It would have given you a little bit extra push on this. But the fact that it was their second, I'd still like to see it. But I don't think it's as monumental just because it's not the first one that they pulled off. Uh, and then the second thing with the doctors. Yeah, it had it was around for, you know, just about three decades, I guess, from the 60s all the way to 82. But I'd never even seen an episode of the doctors. I grew up. My mom watched General Hospital. So I would watch General Hospital. So I know all those fucking crazy ass storylines. Oh, man. See, we were a Days of Our Lives house. Yeah, she didn't Fucking watch that one. Patch was a badass, man, I'll tell you. <laughs> I never knew about any of these. It was always the same shit and always had that really cheesy, like all the sets were cheesy. The acting was fucking horrible. Uh, just never really got into it, but I, it was we only had one television downstairs. So if my mom had that on. That's what I was watching. When I was doing my homework. So I saw a lot of that bullshit. Uh, but then going on to 99, and now you got the Y2K thing. And I think if this was in your news, I would have totally went for it. And it's fine that it's in your TV. Because I think what people did, and this is why 175 million people tuned in to right. watch this. Because I don't think you're normal every year, you know, our New Year's Eve Dick Clark thing. I doubt they get those kind of numbers because it's just like whatever. But the fact that yeah. people watch this in its entirety because they want to see what was going on across the world. You know, starting with Australia, they're like, all right, did ship blow up? No, they're good. Okay, who's next? 
So people would keep turning in on the hour to see what was going on. And that's why that Y2K uh, like little news center thing. I did remember that. And everyone had that shit on all day long. And we weren't watching for the entertainment. Nobody wanted to watch NSYNC or who, Christina Aguilera or Billy Joel. Those were just caveats. But everyone was watching just to make sure that shit didn't go awry. And as soon right. as it was fine, you were like, oh, okay. But if something was going to go awry. It would happen know, there. Yeah, It would happen there in front of you know millions of people on TV. And that's and- why they did it. And right. that's probably what they were hoping for, that somebody along the line would fuck up and that 175 million people would be a lot higher, but still 175 million people is it's gigantic. And then the SpongeBob thing. Eh, I mean, obviously you had to have a second pick for the round. The only thing I took out of that is now that we know that uh, the Krusty Krab is closed on Sundays, it's like Chick-fil-A, man, which I find to be kind of a lie because <laughs> Mr. Krab, he fucking closed it, man. He's all about that coin. He might not have been there on Sundays, but you bet your ass somebody was. <laughs> now, see, I went with that because it was during the first season, and the only other thing I could find, oddly enough, and I was going to throw this out, but now it's too funny to bring up, I didn't want to talk about a soap opera. I had a soap <laughs> opera that ended called Sunset Beach, oh, and I'm sure everyone remembers Sunset that's Beach. That's right up there with the doctors. Oh, yeah. That ended during my week, but I'm like, you know what? Ah, more people will get a kick out of SpongeBob than Sunset Beach. So, well, this one's pretty easy. I mean, just the Y2K thing alone, I can negate all the other picks because that is just gigantic. Everyone watched that. Everyone was wondering what was going to happen, and that's where you were going to see it. You were going to see it live if some shit happened, like if the power went out, you know, the power grid failed or whatever. You were going to see it there, and God forbid it happened during one of those, even by mistake. Can you imagine the pandemonium if, like, the the TV signal went out or something like that? Oh, yeah. Which I'm sure it did, you know, just, like, locally. Maybe your cable went out because it's wintertime. Man, people probably having heart attacks watching that. So I got to give this one to 1999, the whole Y2K thing. That's a big deal. So, Mark, you still have control of the board, and you are up two to zero. All right. You know what? Normally in the week experience, we do sports. But we actually did some digging. I did some digging. Julie did some digging. And we found Hut Products items. So we chose to go with Hut Products. So you know what? Let's throw Hut Products in right here. Very good, because I did not want to hear about fucking bowl games. (laughs) (laughs) All right. December 1999. And, you know, in all of the month of December of 1999, there was nothing hotter in pop culture for Hut Products than Pokemon. It was the biggest selling thing for the holidays in the United States alone. Over 150 companies make more than 1,500 Pokemon products, ranging from macaroni and cheese, ice cream, jewelry boxes, chewable vitamins, inflatable furniture. It's a $7 billion industry. One of those items happened to be Burger King Kids Toys, which were one of the hottest items going today. And on December 26th of 1999, in a USA Today poll, 56% of people said the Pokemon craze would not last past the holidays. And then just a few short days later, December 27th, 1999, Burger King recalls more than 25 million Pokeballs after a 13-month-old girl dies when a one-half three-inch ball covers her mouth and nose 
The following month, a four-month-old boy suffocates as well on the toys. The 1999 Burger King's Kids Toys promotional, there was a slew of different characters that came out for the promotion. There were 59 toys in total. They all came with trading cards. There was also a set of six 23-karat gold-plated cards. Uh, Burger King went all in on this promotion. It was one of their hottest items and one of their biggest failures of all time. When did that product actually come out? It was sold from November up until it was recalled on December 27th, 99. Okay, so you're more so, of a news story than a hot product. Well, it's the recall of a hot product. Ooh, and oh, with the sadness. All right. So that was my first hot product. So my second one is I got a video game that was released for the Dreamcast called Shenmue. I don't know if anyone's very familiar with this game. If you're really into RPG games, you may have heard of it. It's an action-adventure series created and produced by Yu Suzuki. It was the most expensive game ever developed at the time, with an estimated production cost of $47 to $70 million to produce this game. It was in production for six years. The story follows teenage martial artist Ryo Hazuki as he travels through 1980s Japan and China in pursuit of his father's killer. Shenmue appears on several of the greatest games of all time lists, and what really sets it apart from all other games is this was a game that was none like any other at the time. Today, it's going to sound like every other game. It was set in an open world, in an RPG style. Uh, the game had fully voiced non-player characters, and not just two or three, over 250 individual characters. It created a simulated world on a 24-hour cycle that you could walk around the world, interact with the characters. It didn't guide you through a game. You could play it any way you wanted. Today, we see that in Grand Theft Auto, Skyrim, Fallout... This was the first game that ever developed that type of system. So yeah, that's my second pick, Shenmue, uh, released December 29th, 1999 for the Sega Dreamcast. Too bad the Dreamcast was a piece of shit. Hey, I like the Dreamcast. I only played sports games, and the Dreamcast was awesome for sports games because it had the best graphics at the time. So, Wait, this is the one that uh, Mike Ranger hates, right? I think it is. Most people hate the Dreamcast. Yeah, it's the one that he always talks about. Yeah, yeah, yeah Dreamcast. I like the Dreamcast. I had one. I never had one. I ha actually had that game on Xbox. I wish I had Shenmue. You know, I hadn't heard about it. But I think like a couple years later, I had that on the Xbox. So uh, actually kind of reminded me of um, like a Neuromancer, but like way bigger. But I was never good at games. So anywho, let's see what 1982 has to offer. All right, hot products. Um, December 29th, 1982, the surround sound was introduced by Dolby. I found this hot product with the newspapers laced with ads of tube TVs, Betamax, alarm clock radios, cassette boomboxes, and ginormous video recorders. The original Dolby surround decoders in 1982 were just simple passive three-channel decoders, a left, a right, and a mono. This was limited, but it was exciting for home product. Um, that year, the CD player came out, and shortly after, a hi-fi VCR was introduced. So this changed the game for home entertainment. For yeah, sure, it did. Good on Thomas Dolby, man. You ever try to watch a movie not in surround sound now? Oh, it's horrible. It's horrible. I can't watch a movie upstairs. 
Yeah, surround <laughs> sound changed everything. That's a huge pick right there. Thanks. So it actually, what day was it released? Um, December 29th. Oh, shit. Right at the end. All right, good one. What's your second pick? Second pick is December 26, 1982. Time's Man of the Year Award goes to the personal computer. Yes. Later called Machine of the Year to don the information age. The greatest influence for good or evil is not a man at all. It is the machine, the computer. Um, 1981, IBM came out with the first personal computer. It's around $4,000 equivalent today. Um, Then came the Commodore 64, which is the first home computer that's affordable at about $1,500. That was in August. But throughout the year, this was given as a lot of gifts, and a lot of people were purchasing it for the home. You know, Time Magazine was pretty ahead of the game. This computer was pretty limited. It pretty much was a fancy typewriter, but if we made a mistake, we didn't have to go back and and retype the whole thing, which was nice. Apparently, Steve Jobs was really upset that he wasn't voted Man of the Year this year. Of course, it's a pretty big deal. It's the first non-human. <laughs> he would have been. He's probably. He was probably so fucking busy. He's like, I built the fucking thing. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> he just totally lost his shit. <laughs> All right, this is actually this is pretty simple for me too because I'm sorry, but I'm going to negate the uh, the Pokemon Recall and I'm going to negate the Time Magazine PC of the Year or PC person of the year uh, only because the two of them, they don't really fit the hot product mold. So then I'm looking at surround sound by Dolby versus Shenmue and people would smack the shit out of me. If I didn't pick surround Shenmue, sound, it's gotta go to surround sound. I mean, we all use it now. You're talking about yeah. 1982. Oh, yeah. It was very expensive. A couple people had it. I remember even going into the nineties, my buddy Alex in high school, they had a laser disc player and they had uh surround sound. It was the first person I knew that had it like in their basement all set up. And we all went there to watch movies because it was incredible. Yeah. You could watch any movie. I remember watching Billy Madison at his house with surround sound and being like, this is fucking insane. And then going home and watching it on a VHS tape and being like, eh, this is garbage. We all had movies. Like, I always had one DVD that was a go-to when I wanted to test sound quality. Yep. And for me, it was my, my DVD copy of The Mummy. The whole <laughs> opening sequence of that, the sound quality is fantastic for testing your stuff. Well, I remember, what was the beginning, like, the whole THX thing that used to come on? Yes. In the 90s yep. with a... Like that thing? <laughs> Fucking crazy. But yeah, I got to give this one to the Dolby thing. Shemu, great game. I just don't think it, it's got the legs Dolby has. No. Dolby had great legs. <laughs> the Poke- <laughs> Pokemon Recall, just because it wasn't during that time frame, and it is a big deal. Uh, and then the, uh, the Time Magazine thing, that is huge. And it's just more of a news thing, I would put it, for both of those. I put those more as news than hot products. But anyhow, I got to give this one to 82. So, Julie, you have control of the board going into the two-point rounds. It's two points to one. Any person's game at this point. Where are we going? Okay. Let's go to music. All right. Finish up with movies. Going old school here. <laughs> All right. Well, just to give some ambiance, 1982, um, Maneater by Oates, Mickey by Tony Basil and The Girl is Mine by Michael Jackson and Paul McCartney were all on the top singles of this week. Um, But we are going to Jamaica, where in December 29th, 1982, Caribbean history was made when Bob Marley's face landed on a Jamaican postage stamp. 
Bob Marley started out in 1963 with a group, The Whalers, where he then pursued a solo career and relocated to England, resulting in the Exodus album, which is every song that you think you know of Bob Marley. Yep. <laughs> he died uh, May 11th, 1981, at age 36 of melanoma, but he was considered one of the greatest, most influential musicians of all time, and Jamaica was proud to give him a postage stamp. All right, that's a good Hell one. Hell yeah, definitely deserve that. I'm a huge Bob Marley fan, so got to respect bringing the Marley anytime on this show. So thank you. And, and not when he died, because that's come up before. <laughs> yeah, I had that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't have the Bob Marley postage stamp. I do have the uh, Jerry Garcia postage stamp, but not the Marley one. So maybe I'll have to look into getting that. Good pick. So my second pick is Billy Joel serenaded Allentown, Pennsylvania on December 27th, 1982. His visit was prompted by a petition that was signed by 10,000 Allentown's um, people urging him to make an appearance in the city. The Allen community was inspired by the latest hit song, Allentown. The Bethlehem Steel Factory reported a loss of $1.5 billion and shut down many of its operations, resulting in high unemployment rates and troubled times throughout the factory city. So once they bullied Billy Joel to get there, um, Mayor Joseph Dadana gave him the key to the crumbling city. Um, lots of t-shirts were made, tickets were scalped for a hundred bucks, and the city was made very happy by him just visiting. Yeah, nice. It's good on him for going. I didn't even know that he went there to do a song. Or did he do a full concert there, or was it just like the one song that he sang and left? He did a full concert and nice. he started and ended with Allentown. Nice. Um, oh, another fun fact um, that I just found while figuring this out: the original version of the video features partial male nudity. When in the beginning of the video, coal workers were just taking showers. And they had to edit it on MTV, so I guess we never saw that. Not by Billy Joel, though. <laughs> not, no, not by Billy Joel. Are we talking full frontal male nudity, or are we talking uh, rear? Because if it's say rear, it. nobody cares. I would like to know. Now, I'd expect it out of Billy Joel's sax player. Have you ever seen that guy on some of those 80s videos? That guy I could see going, you know, full frontal on uh, on stage. No, but. his his drummer is the shit. The guy with the big-ass glasses. <laughs> yeah. Like in the Matter Trust video, it always cracks me the fuck up when I watch those guys. But yeah, that's I mean that's a good price too. I'm going to see uh Billy Joel in at MSG in uh March. And we're sitting behind the stage because that's the only thing we could get because everything else sold out and those tickets were $180 a piece. To wow. sit behind the stage. That's good sh seats though. But yeah, though, clever. You kind of get to see yeah, everything. Cleverly like it's actually not that bad because if you look at the, the view of the seats, yeah, he's not facing you, but a lot of time he's on the piano, so he, you see a side view of him. Right. But the tickets on the other side in the very front, those are 700 bucks a piece, not yeah. even in the front row, like further back. So like, fuck it. I'll sit behind the stage just for the fact that you get to see Billy Joel, even if it's the backside of him. Hopefully it's dressed, but yeah, that's uh, good <laughs> shit. So you came out with the uh, the Bob Marley postage stamp and Billy Joel serenading Allentown. It's a good stuff. New Year's resolutions are hard, but the Xfinity New Year New Gig Sale is easy. Waking up the kids after a long winter break. 
hard. But getting gig speed internet so you can stream, surf, and game all at once, easy. Committing to a trendy New Year's diet, hard. But finding your favorites on Xfinity X1, the easiest all-in-one entertainment experience, just by speaking into the X1 voice remote, easy. It's the Xfinity New Year New Gig Sale, and it's simple, easy, awesome. To learn more, go to Xfinity.com, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. What does 1999 have to offer? Because musically, I can't see 99 wowing me with anything. Yeah, well, let's take a look. <laughs> In sync and Limp Biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did have uh, the top tracks uh, of the month. Uh, Believe by Cher, No Scrubs, uh, Angel of Mine by Monica, Heartbreak Hotel by Whitney Houston, Baby One More Time by Britney Spears, uh, Kiss Me by Sixpence, Genie in a Bottle, Christina Aguilera, uh, Every Morning by Sugar Ray, Nobody's Supposed to Be Here by Deborah Cox and Live in La Vida Loca by Ricky Martin. Oh, boy. Rounding out the uh, top 10 for December 24th through the 31st of 1999. So my first selection is uh, by an artist born Sean Corey Carter on December 4th, 1969 in Brooklyn, New York. And he actually holds the distinction of being the rapper with the most Grammy wins in history. Released December 28th, 1999, I give you Volume 3, The Life and Times of S. Carter by Jay-Z. The album was very well received by critics and debuted at number one on the Billboard 200, selling 462,000 copies in its very first week. It has since sold over 3 million copies and been certified triple platinum. The album gave us three big singles off of it. Do It Again, Things That You Do, which was a duet with Mariah Carey, Anything, and Big Pimpin'. (laughs) (laughs) Big Pimpin' was the bane of my existence during my college years because that's all you could hear was bass line from the dorms next room. It was boom, 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 boom. (laughs) (laughs) Boom, boom, boom. Spending cheese. Oh, it was horrible. So the album was nominated for two Grammys that year, and uh, critic Miles Marshall from Voice said that Jay-Z is the best MC in hip-hop, and Volume 3 was the quintessential 2000 model hip-hop album. And if you want to know my personal feelings on Jay-Z, you know, I thug him, fuck him, love him, leave him, because I don't fucking need him. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's uh that's my first one jay-z volume three uh my second one we're gonna have to go to some live music i think for because the the eve of the millennium had some outstanding concerts so i took a look at all of them so let's go to the eve of the millennium december 30th and 31st 1999 My pick happened to be the largest Millennium Eve concert on Earth that night, surpassing shows by Sting, Barbara Streisand, Aerosmith, the just-mentioned Billy Joel, Eric Clapton, Rod Stewart, The Eagles, Eminem, Jimmy Buffett, Kiss, Metallica, The Red Hot Chili Peppers, and Elton John. This concert surpassed all of them, with over 85,000 people in attendance, Big Cypress was the largest of 10 weekend-long festivals hosted by the band Fish. In a 2000s cover story for Entertainment Weekly, three of the four Fish members declared Big Cypress to be the greatest Fish concert ever. It was also voted the most popular Fish show by fans in the final volume of the Farmer's Almanac. 
It was also the longest Fish concert ever, culminating in a seven and a half hour second set from midnight to New Year's to sunrise New Year's Day. Fish was the only band at the event. They performed five sets, nearly 16 hours, over two nights. As fans left the concert at sunrise, they played the Beatles' Here Comes the Sun. Peter Jennings actually reported on this in my other news story that I mentioned in the TV round. In the uh, ABC Today 2000, they actually showed live broadcast footage of the concert in part of that. And Peter Jennings actually reported on their set list and stuff. Uh, at the beginning of the band's seven and a half hour second set, guitarist Trey Anastasio mentioned that the band had a porta potty toilets on stage so they could use them during the marathon set. And they actually had security guards surrounding the stage not to protect the band from the hordes of fish fans, but to ensure that the band stayed true to their word and did not leave the stage for the duration of the whole set. So Big Cypress, the greatest fish show of all time, New Year's Eve, 1999, and that Jay-Z album that sold 3 million albums. Uh, all right. Uh, before I make a judgment here, who played Big Cypress besides fish? It was just them. For 16 hours over two days. God, God, that's punishment right there. The second set alone was seven and a half hours. God, it is that's... a fantastic show. Yeah, that's horrible. They covered Prince's 1999. Don't ever want to hear them After do that. Midnight. It's fantastic. <laughs> Ugh. I don't know if there's any band I'd like to see for seven hours. That's only the second set, though. Well, this is a two day concert. So. And they played both days. How yeah. fucking full of yourself are you? 85,000 people went to just go see fish. I didn't go to this one. I went to the next big concert after this, which was it. That was up in Limestone, Maine. There was only 65,000 people at that one. And I'll tell you, I'll never go to a show that big again, man. All right. That was just nuts. And this was 85,000. All right. Well, I'm going to have to uh, tip my hand to Billy Joel doing some good for Allentown over fucking a gazillion hours of fish songs <laughs> and nobody else playing like what did they at least donate money or something what did they do this for just this is a big fish concert yeah like they've always done several large festivals they've done 10 over the years every couple of years they have a new one and it's like a one giant festival with just them it's a full weekend they play multiple sets i remember when i went they woke us up at 6 30 in the morning with an early morning set they started off with their song silent in the morning that's how we all woke up out of our tents and there's just a lot of different art scenes and different exhibits and things to do over the weekend, as well as you're there with 65,000 or 85,000, in this case, crazy other people that are all into the same stuff you are. So Yeah, yeah it's cool for them. If you've never been to a show like that, it's it's, it's a unique culture, I guess, to say the least. Yeah, I'm going to give that one to Billy Joel. At least he did that <laughs> for a dying town. He went out there and played for Allentown, gave him the concert. You know, it would have been a little bit better if Billy Joel went out there. And did he charge anything for those tickets or were people just scalping those tickets for $100 a piece? People were scalping the tickets for $100. Okay, so it was like a free show, like a first come, first serve deal? Um, I'm not 100% sure. I mean, I'm going to assume that Billy would do it that way because I know even on 9-11, he drove around on his motorcycle and just played random places. He would just show yeah. up at a bar and start playing, so... 
And just to stay positive on this whole thing, I'm just going to assume that the scalpers donated the money as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Well, those people might have needed the money. I mean, it, it, you know, that was a huge industry that was taken out of Allentown. So, yeah. I, you know, I got to look at all four. And then I'm looking at those two second picks. I got to tip my hand to Billy Joel on that. I think it's just it's a good thing to do that he did, even though you said that they bullied him into it. I think he would have actually done it anyway. He seems like the type of person that would do it. Oh yeah. So it comes down to the Jay-Z volume three versus the, uh, the postage stamp with Bob Marley. If it was an American postage stamp, it would be astronomical. The fact that it's Jamaican postage stamp and that's where he's from. It's still, it's huge, but it's not like another country recognized him. Maybe did the United States ever put him on a postage stamp? Cause I have a feeling that they did. I believe they did. Yeah. Oh, man, that's this is a fucking tough one. Because as, as much as I like that album, I don't think that's his best album. Volume 3 is good. Big Pimpin', of course. I mean, that's like the one that's got the legs. And I actually haven't even heard Big Pimpin' in a long time. It's not something you just hear all the time. And then he's not on Spotify and shit. Yeah, he is. Not all of yeah. this stuff, because he's, he's on his own label. I listened to this album today on Spotify. No way. And it's the first time I've heard Big Pimpin' since those college days where I was tormented with that bass line for hours on end. Really? Hold on. I got to check this. Because I know he's not on any of my playlists because he wasn't on here. Yeah, it looks like the same thing, man. Oh, no. He's got his albums on here now. That must be fairly new because uh, he didn't as of like a couple months ago. Are they all on there, though? Uh, it looks like quite a few of them are on there now. Cause I it used to just be uh, what do you call? It? What's that one with um, Lincoln Park? I forgot the name of it, but that was on there. You know, with like Numb and Encore, and uh, he had some stuff on there with uh, Kanye West and whatever. But the bulk of his albums weren't on there, so that's actually huge. I love that. Thank you for bringing that up. Now I can add all that shit back to my playlist. <laughs> Ah, shit, this is hard. I'm, You know what? I'm going to have to pull for 82 here just because I think both things are kind of humanitarian. Uh, the Big Cypress show kind of I'm not a fish guy. I don't even know. I couldn't even tell you one fish song. Uh, but the fact that 85,000 people showed up to watch this shit, obviously, they must have a lot of material. Just not my thing. And for once in one of these rounds, I usually try to do it on what everybody else would do, but I'm going to do what I would do in this round. I'm going to give this one to 82 just for the fact that I love Bob Marley. I love Billy Joel. I do love Jay-Z as well, but I don't know. I got to give this one to 82. I'm not going to argue with Bob Marley, man. Yeah, it's, so, it's yeah. hard. Just- I mean, it's you You threw out an icon. She threw out two icons. Of course, Fish is probably an icon, too, but just not my thing. So I'm going with my thing with this one. I'm going with 82. All right. I guess we're heading over to the movies round. And Julie, it's your honor. Would you like to go first or do you want to defer? Um, I'll go first. Oh, yes. shit. Thank you. Oh, and everything's on this final round. It's uh, three points to two, but that doesn't even matter. Just comes down to this. Whoever wins this final round is the victor of this game. Okay. So movies, nineteen eighty-two. Oh, she's um, she's grinning from ear to ear. <laughs> no, no, I'm sweating, man. I'm fucking worried. <laughs> you should. <laughs> she said you should. <laughs> no, I'm actually super embarrassed about the things I'm about to say. You know, nineteen eighty-two had some amazing movies. Uh, Blade Runner, <laughs> The Thing, Poltergeist. Um, 
I'm I'm not going to talk about any of these movies. <laughs> of, course, um, of course not, because you only got a week to choose from. Yeah, a week. You know, Tootsie came out, but that was on the 17th. Um, so yeah. that that didn't even include in this week. One but thing I, I did I, notice, and I don't mean to cut you off, but oh yeah, when uh, you get to Christmas, Christmas is like the last day usually you get like a movie that gets released, and it's usually like yeah. a bigger movie will come out on Christmas. Then after that. It's usually throwaways from, you know, we're just going to release this one and see what happens, but we'll put it out that week after Christmas or that day, a couple yeah. days after Christmas, just to see. So I'm really curious to see both of your picks for this round. <laughs> well, also, uh, you know, when you're looking through all of the ads in the newspapers, you know, it's E.T. was out in all of the ads and that was still playing the theaters, but that came out in June. Yeah. You know, like a lot of these movies, um, Officer and a Gentleman was all throughout all of the ads and, and that came out in August. So I think that's pretty wild um, that it took so long to, to leave the theaters and, and get to us on, on VHS. Um, so I'm going to talk about uh, December 27th, 1982. Uh, Skeeter came out. <laughs> it had Karen Valentine. I gotta look this one up. <laughs> it was a made-for-TV movie. Oh, man. Deep cut. Oh, even better. A nurse therapist uses her dog to reach emotionally disturbed children uh, where she works. It had a 7.5 on IMDb. The cover looks really interesting. Uh, it has a Benji dog on there, so I guess she'd bring the Benji dog all around. The only thing that I could find about this this movie, someone talking about it, was how Karen Valentine looked super hot and really young. So good for her. <laughs> and that's Skeeter. I can't even find... A, I looked up Skeeter, and I'm just getting a sci-fi movie from 1993. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'll be the first to say, you know, it's, it might be a, a movie about a therapy dog, but it's probably got some legs to it. At least four. Yeah, I mean, when you think about therapy dogs now, I mean, there's therapy dogs every day. Yeah, this was 82, so... <laughs> ahead of the curve. Just like Shenmue, this was way before its time. <laughs> How do you spell it? Is it S-K-E-E-T-E-R? Um, yeah, that's what I was just about to say, is um, you would probably be able to find it if I pronounced it correctly. It's skeezer. Oh, skeezer. S-K-E-E-Z-E-R. So, yeah, skeezer, 1982. Oh, that sounds way more dirty than, uh, <laughs> than yeah. skeeter. So, skeezer, this hot chick, Wait a would second. bring her dog. You, you went off the IMDb rating of the all of 18 people that rated it on IMDb. 18. Wow. Why did not one person write a review? Hey, it was nominated for a primetime Emmy Award. <laughs> Karen Valentine. Let's see what she looks like. Eh, she's she's pretty attractive. Yeah. I had no clue who she is, though. But okay. All right. Skeezer. Not Skeeter, but Skeezer. <laughs> Skeezer. That yeah. sounds like a way dirtier movie than it should be. Oh, man. It absolutely does. <laughs> the weak experience at its best right there. <laughs> Some weeks it gets you, and it just got Julie. <laughs> I can't wait for the second. <laughs> My second is uh, Elizabeth Taylor. She decides to fly to the Middle East to give hugs to a whole bunch of children. Uh, she was fresh off her divorce. Um, it was her sixth divorce, and she decided to do good things. This had um, Hollywood in a buzz, and they they loved, made fun of um, her going over there. Uh, 
And she really felt that, you know, after 3,000 years of some of the world's greatest peace figures, you know, trying to bring order to the Middle East, that she was going to be the best person for the job. She gave lots of hugs to kids, and um, her goodwill tour ended by uh, her fainting in a limo in a, in a desert. So that's pretty much uh, 1982. Holy shit. If wow. that's not a snapshot of the end of 82, I don't know what is. Holy shit. Yeah. Skeezer and Elizabeth Taylor giving hugs to kids in the Middle East. <laughs> And fainting in a limo in the and, desert. Oh, yeah. I can't forget that. Yeah. She had to go down And hard. all those kids from the Middle East ran away and said, oh, she smells like really bad perfume. <laughs> and the thing was, at that time, she was not even that old. She died in like 2011. She was, I think she was like 80 or somewhere around her 80s. So she only had to be like, what, in her she's 40s? 50. Or she was 50? And she was fainting? Come on. Yeah. Only in the 80s could you fly to another country to hug children that weren't your own. <laughs> Now that is strictly frowned upon. Oh, wait. Didn't, uh, who breastfed kids in Africa? Oh, I don't know. Wasn't that like Gwyneth Paltrow no, or something? No, it wasn't Gwyneth Paltrow. It was, um... <laughs> That's amazingly bizarre. What the fuck's her name? From Dust Till Dawn. Salma Hayek. Salma Hayek. Really? Lucky kids. She was. Bre- I would rather be breastfed by Salma Hayek than get a hug from Elizabeth Taylor. That's just me. Absolutely. <laughs> but <laughs> those kids won the lottery. She's <laughs> like, anybody thirsty? Every kid was like, <laughs> I haven't drank in a year. Parched. <laughs> there was like old men coming up. Like I need some of that colostrum. <laughs> Fucking Liz Taylor. They're like, I got hugs. They're like, fuck off. <laughs> Liz Taylor went up to Salma Hayek and said, hey, man, I'm thirsty. Can you hook us this yeah, up? <laughs> I'm about to faint here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. And she's married to like a billionaire. Good for her. All right. Uh, yeah. So off to 99. Can you beat Skeezer and Liz Taylor giving hugs in the Middle East? I don't know. I don't want to say know. anything yet. I don't know, man. Because in 99, you might have some crazy shit like Limp Biscuit movie or some shit. <laughs> No Limp Biscuit, but a limited release opening December 29th, 1999, based on the inspirational true story of a champion. His greatest fight was for justice. The true story of Reuben Hurricane Carter, a boxer wrongly imprisoned for murder, and the people who aided to fight for his innocence in The Hurricane, starring Denzel Washington. Uh, Denzel was nominated for a Golden Globe and did win that Golden Globe for Best Performance by an Actor in a Motion Picture or Drama, and then he was nominated for the Academy Award but did not win it. Denzel lost 60 pounds to play the role, and he trained for over a year with a boxing coach. Of course, the title is uh, similar to the Bob Dylan song and is taken from the Reuben Hurricane Carter book himself that he wrote. Denzel Washington did a fantastic job in the movie, uh, also had a great cast in it, and was directed by Norman Jewson. Uh, so that's my first movie, uh, The Hurricane, with uh, Denzel Washington. So my second film... After viewing this movie, Tommy Wiseau was so emotionally moved (laughs) that he vowed to make a movie just as, if not more compelling than this film. And of course, that movie would go on to be The Room. The Room would not exist if it wasn't for the movie I'm about to talk about. 
Nominated for five Oscars and five Golden Globes, this film cast included four Oscar winners, Matt Damon, Kate Blanchett, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and Gwyneth Paltrow. Also includes one Oscar nominee, Jude Law. Based on the novel by the same name by Patricia Highsmith, I give you The Talented Mr. Ripley. Released December 25th, 1999, a perfect Christmas movie. In the late 1950s, New York, Tom Ripley, a young underachiever, is sent to Italy to retrieve Dickie Greenleaf, a rich, spoiled millionaire playboy. But when the errand fails, Ripley takes to extreme measures. This movie made $128 million on a $40 million budget. Uh, this is actually Matt Damon's favorite movie that he has ever made. And uh, Jude Law learned to play the saxophone for this film as Matt Damon learned to play the piano. The Talented Mr. Ripley. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this. It's kind of a weird movie, but I kind of dig it. It's a very dark role for Matt Damon. It's odd. I actually own it, but I've never watched it. Yeah, I, I highly recommend to watch it. It's slow, so you got to be wide awake. It's a good morning watch. Don't watch it late at night. Whew. All right. So we got fucking Skeezer and Liz Taylor giving hugs in the Middle East. Versus uh, the Hurricane and Talented Mr. Ripley. Like I said, I own Talented Mr. Ripley. Actually, I own the Hurricane, too. I've seen that a bunch of times. I love that movie. Talented Mr. Ripley, it's one of those ones, I think I bought it, like, right after it was released on DVD. Full, like, I was fully, I was going to, oh, I'm going to watch this. I'm going to watch it. Everyone says it's good. Never watched it. It might still be in, like, remember that uh, security plastic that they put on top? Yep. I might still have that on my DVD. And it, it's this is so dated that my DVD is not even widescreen. So I'll probably <laughs> never watch that DVD. Um, but that doesn't have anything to do with this round. I just figured I'd throw that out there because obviously I give this one to 99. But it's tough. And I think the reason you had the hurricane, because that's a 2000 movie, but they had that limited release at the end of the year. Because of the right. whole Oscar thing, they wanted to get it in the exactly. movies, play it for a week. Um, yep. So that's probably why that was there. Uh, Talented Mr. Ripley, that probably came out on Christmas. I doubt it came out after it. Yeah, no, that was a Christmas Day release. It was a Christmas Day release. Yeah. So well, that, that's one of those. Skeezer, I don't know when that even came out. Do you know what channel that came on? I don't. <laughs> I, I want to <laughs> dig this movie up, but I guarantee you, we talked about this an episode or two ago. If you can find a movie on IMDb that has like less than a hundred like reviews, that is a rare movie. Usually those are movies yeah. they they put them on VHS and they never crossed over to digital. And they're really hard to find. So the fact that you brought this movie up that has 18, which is probably one of the lowest that I've ever seen for an actual movie that was released on like on television or wherever it was. I've never seen that low. Uh, Liz Taylor giving hugs. I don't even care. It's so fucking stupid <laughs> was, of her. It was for the children. <laughs> She's an idiot. Like, why were you doing that? That's just like, look, me, 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 me. I'm going to the Middle East <laughs> to right. give hugs. First of all, they're poor children in a third world country. They don't need fucking hugs. They need clothes and food. <laughs> and they probably don't even know who the fuck you are. Right. 
strange white lady yeah, exactly. who smells like bad perfume just wants to come up and hug me? Fuck just, you, Just get away. saying her name, I could smell what she smelled like. You know that old lady yes. perfume? To me, when I smell it, it kind of has like this marshmallowy, weird yes. smell. It kind of makes yeah. me want to cough. Powdery, flowery. Yes. Yeah. That's what I'm picturing. So she just went over there and choked a bunch of kids. It was Elizabeth Taylor's own perfume. <laughs> diamonds are forever. Is that her? <laughs> Something like that. White nice. diamonds. White diamonds. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I got to give this one a 99. I mean, it's really easy <laughs> to pick this one. So, Mark, you get a victory, bro. <laughs> I know. What the hell, man? I never pick up victories in the singles competition. I might come back from vacation with you on a two-game win streak. That would be bizarre. They might. But yeah, I totally lucked out on the movies round. Just happened in 99. There was just a couple of these bigger studio films that got released. Other than that, there was absolutely nothing. <laughs> so, I mean, I could have gone with Galaxy Quest with uh, Tim Allen and Sigourney Weaver. I think that still would have beaten Skeezer. <laughs> <laughs> Alan Rickman's in that. It's a rough but, one. Oh. Hey, you get what Great you get. Great picks tonight, Julie, though. You get what Great you get. Great job, man. Weak experience for a reason. Thank you. You as well. <laughs> Looking forward, Mark, you got... So you're going against Joe next week. So I'll tell yeah. you what, if you beat Joe next week, that's two in a row for you. Actually, if you take the Mama Luke's victory from last episode, that would be three wins in a row for you. If we're going by AEW rules here, you're in line for a title shot soon. If you If you win next week. I know, it reminds me of like one of my favorite movies of all time, Major League, where they're talking about it. They're like, we won yesterday, we win today, that's two in a row. We win again, that's three. You know what they call that? That's a winning streak. <laughs> you might be on one of those. And for January, we got a big month. Hopefully, uh, Kelly Maroney is supposed to come on for, I think, the ninth. She's going to be judging an episode there. And then, of course, uh, our favorite, Robert Tepper, is coming back. He'll be back on the 23rd of January to uh to adjudicate another episode he's really excited about this so we'll see where that goes man if you take that game against joe next week i don't know what'll happen on the ninth but maybe just maybe you could be in line for the title all right julie thanks for coming in tonight and playing can't wait to have you back tell everybody where they can listen to flickers from the cave um check us out flickers from the cave anywhere that you listen to podcasts we're a movie review podcast, so listen to us, join us. We have a lot of laughs and a good time. You better review Skeezer. <laughs> you talk about Skeezer on your most current episode? We will. We will next. Yeah, All right, absolutely. Thank you. For the new year. Got to do a full review of Skeezer. Maybe do a commentary track or something. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm trying to see if I can find it right now. <laughs> all right duelers while he's looking for that if you've ever missed an episode of dueling decades you can head over to our website duelingdecades.com where you can subscribe to the show over on spotify cast box wherever you get your podcasts and then while you got your computer out go over to facebook.com forward slash dueling decades join our group there and then join our private group where you can share some of your own 80s and 90s memories man crush what's up so you got your hand raised <laughs> I was just going to say, scores reset. Oh, that's right. You're listening to this. It's January. That means we have crowned a champion for 2019. On the 1st of January, we're resetting scores, even playing field for everybody. So get on the trivia. You're not far out. You're going to start from zero, just like everybody else. So go over to our Facebook. Yeah, and season two is going to be even bigger and more fun than season one was. So if you haven't joined in on the Dueling Decades trivia craze yet on Facebook, get in on that, Duelers. And the champion's about to get a belt. 
Yeah, I know. I, I just saw a picture of that belt. Duelers, wait till you see that. It is an impressive. That's like Ted DiBiase quality million dollar belt right not there. Not quite that nice, but it's uh, it's it's not too shabby. <laughs> so until next time, Duelers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone. Infirmary Media.